Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. I have tried to record the intro to this a handful of times. I just spent the last 30 minutes, eh, hour, I don't know. I just spent some time editing this episode and I went back and forth about whether or not I should A, finish editing it, B, actually share it, C, I don't know, throw my computer out the window. This episode is about school and IEPs and home-based schooling and where Diane was and where I am and or where I was on June 18th, 2021, when we recorded this episode. That was less than a week before I caught a head cold and less than two weeks before Lorelai got that cold and also died. There are things in here in this episode that if you if you don't want to feel like vomiting, if you are close to me, close to my family, close to Lorelai, if you've followed our story, there are things that are said in this episode that are that are pretty triggering. I say things like, um, yeah, a head cold could kill her. Or, I'm just knee-deep and trying to keep my kid alive. Which was like 13 days before she died. So, this is your warning. It is a good episode and the reason I am continuing to share it is because I feel like this project and this podcast and our community are bigger than just me. And... I know this conversation that Diane and I had is important and there are so many people who can relate. Whether you are knee-deep in keeping your kid alive or you are knee-deep in fighting an IEP system that just isn't helping, this is an important conversation and it needs to be shared so that it can help other people. But again, there are some things that I said in this episode that we recorded less than two weeks before Lorelai died that are just absolutely haunting. And maybe that's just me because grief is funny. (laughs) Grief is even more funny when you have a podcast, apparently. Welcome to our candid conversation about IEPs, 
home-based schooling, germs, and just picking back up and keeping on going. So we are here today, and I'm getting text as I like. Oh, there's a text. Diane and I were gonna. We were we were sitting here chatting, and I was like, you know, we should just record this and have this conversation as an episode. Last night, I got a text from a mom friend, and I'm gonna leave names out, but I'm gonna read you her text. She said, "Hi." I'm not sure who else to message with this weird feeling I have today. You are always my go-to special needs mom. My daughter qualified for special needs preschool today. We've been going through the testing and her qualifying was what we were hoping for. She will be going to preschool starting in September. But at the same time, it kind of hurt my heart today listening to them actually put numbers on her status. Like, they obviously only get a glimpse of her. But most of the tests showed that she has the skills of an 18 to 20 month old child when she's about to turn three. I know she's delayed. I wanted to get her in the program. And yet somehow seeing it quantified like that was still really hard for me. Like, what the heck? I should be happy. And I am happy that they're writing her an IEP and she's getting these great services. But at the same time, it still hurts. I don't know. It may be stupid, but I'm in my feelings about it today. First and foremost, it's not stupid, right? It's not stupid. We all felt where you're standing on the edge of a river that you just have to walk through to get to the other side of something. And you're trying to process like what it's going to feel like when you walk through it and what it's going to look like and how hard is it going to be? How deep is it going to be? How long is it going to take? And so it's not stupid. It's really good that I think, you know, she has somebody to reach out to, but I think we can all agree that we've been there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that really scary and just hard to swallow situation. And I think you've mentioned it a few times, but the idea that it's a constant reminder for me that you can feel two ways at one time. Like Mm -hmm. you can be sad that this is what these numbers are saying, but you can also be happy that your kid is getting the services that she needs. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to sit at both places at the same time. But I think a lot of the time in this journey, you have to. Yeah. Um, I think like it's, I mean, I always look at it as like a yin and yang. I mean, they just both mm -hmm. coexist together. And I don't know, I'm no therapist, but sometimes I think it's healthy to have that because it keeps you grounded while hopeful, it keeps you in reality while wonder and, you know, possibility because we can't live in fantasy. We can't pretend that our kids are going to have abilities because that that they're just never going to have Mm -hmm. because that's a disservice to them. But at the same time too, then we step back and we just had an interview with my godmother, Lou, who is a 42-year retired special education teacher. And she flat out said, she's like, I mean, IEPs are great, but I don't let that put the kid in the box. And, right. you know, like she was just so hopeful and so positive about all of her children. And we walk out of an IEP meeting going, gosh, like they didn't even say a positive thing about my kid. But I also think that's partially, I mean, don't get me wrong, being on both sides, I have cried from seeing the therapy notes 
(laughs) or them Mm -hmm. saying your child's ability sits here. But I've also had to swallow the disappointment in my other kids when they're told Mm. they're not the best or when their grades have, you know, I think it, and not to diminish it because I, I hear it and I feel it so much, especially when these kids that are faced with so much adversity continue to face that. However, I think it also, the grief is part of motherhood when your heart is literally inside their bodies. Like you want nothing but the best for them. And it's always a hard pill to swallow. So I'll say like IEP meeting. I mean, I of course cried through the first IEP meeting and probably the second because it was really overwhelming. You're sitting around a table. You have no clue what the hell you're doing. You don't know who these like 18 people are that are staring at you that go in a circle and introduce themselves. And you just are kind of like staring blank faced at them. And they're telling you all these things and then saying, this is what we're going to do. And you're kind of like, okay. And they ask you your opinion. And I had none because I had no clue what to say. Um, Mine hit me though. I think more when the doctor said, your child's going to have special needs. And I was like, wait, we're not there. No, we're not. That's not us. Like, what, why is this even a conversation, right? We've just been looking into stuff. So I think it definitely hits people at different times, um, depending on where they are in their journey or diagnosis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think too, before we hit record, you and I both made the note, our two girl, well, Benji, I for poor Benji. <laughs> my two kids and your daughter but I always think like our two girls because Benji hasn't shown me 100% yet what he's all about but they're a bit more severe than some Mm -hmm. Um, you know and I I would imagine though that an IEP meeting for a higher functioning autistic child versus an IEP meeting for a low functioning Lorelai I imagine it would sting either way just to hear Absolutely. I do want to circle back to this friend that texted me. Like she said a couple times, you know, these are the services I want. This is what I want for my kid. I am happy that they are giving her the services she needs. But as a mom, like, how do we just process these feels? Like, yes, this is what I want. But then when you tell me it and I see it on paper, I just want to throw up a little bit. And I think you throw up a little bit. And you <laughs> just try and swallow it down. Oh, and you you're take just one ruining the chips and salsa. I ate. You, you put one foot in front of the other. You consult your support network and your resources, and you walk through it. Like that and is you just the keep going. Way. Yeah, it's I mean, like I always try to tell myself, and we've only done a couple of these, but we've done it with therapy and stuff too. But you know, I always try to step back and go. Literally nothing changed about my child from when I walked in this building and when I'm walking out of this building. Lorelai is exactly the same as she was before I walked in here. And Mm -hmm. now, you know, like they have their opinion and I have mine. Um, And a lot of times in my case, I don't want to say that I don't have high expectations for Lorelai, but I don't think she'll ever I know she will never read. I know mm-hmm. she will never, you know, do things like that. Right. So I think my IEP expectations, I'm like, okay, sure. We'll just try it. Like, yep. I mean, totally. I also had the IEP meeting with the intent of 
Lorelai is going to be home-based schooling because she's severely immunocompromised. And I feel like I would be fighting more or butting heads more if she was in school and I was saying, no, this is exactly what she needs. Mm -hmm. You have to have her in speech therapy. You have to, you know, like, so I think for me, like my IEP was like, okay, good. Like I'm still going to do what I'm going to do because she's at home. Right. I think Um, like, so I can't speak to what other, like, how has the experience been for you? Um, like I said, the first one was very overwhelming just because I didn't know what I was doing. I, you don't know how much control you have. And I think I am not a super confrontational person. And so this year I did feel like we're just coming off of, you know, COVID-19 year and it was a challenging year. And I think it was just challenging all around. And I'm sure we're going to have those years that really didn't have a ton to do with a specific person, maybe a little bit of programming, but I had to advocate and it was just this year. And so I'm going to give a shout out to all of you parents that are dealing with maybe a little bit less severe. They might need, might not need support in all areas. I have said to multiple people, my heart goes out to those people so much because the advocacy that needs to happen when your child may be on the brink, yeah. like you have to battle. And mm-hmm. I mean, I had to battle for things simply because of COVID But I know walking into an IEP meeting, aside from maybe saying, I want her to get more service minutes direct, there's really nothing I'm going to have to ask for because I know she she is going to qualify for everything that Mm -hmm. she needs. Whereas if my child has a speech delay or something, I mean, that is just daunting. And you're battling for services that you know they need to succeed, but once they succeed, they back off and say, well, your child's succeeding. They don't need services anymore. And you're like, but that's the only reason they're succeeding. So yes, we need, I mean, that has just got to be exhausting. And I went through a snippet of the crying in IEP meetings, the borderline yelling and having to get really feisty as a mom for a handful of months during COVID. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all experiences are very different. I think I just, we just went through our third because she's going into kindergarten and it was wonderful, you know, because I've, we're all just learning each other. I have yeah. learned more about my own child and what she needs, um, what I want for her. I mean, they would look at me and say, what are your goals for her? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what my goals can be for her. I have no idea. You know, What do you mean? What does that even mean? But now I've seen her as she grows and develops and learn her personality And I know what I want for her and what would be best for her. So I think ultimately, like, yes, that person that texted you, it is just, it's daunting. I mean, I have a child, you know, I have Selah, and then I have another one in high potential classes. And I see sometimes the struggle in those classes of like, okay, math is really hard or, and it's just always a struggle to to watch your children go through that, you know, and to be told for somebody else to look at you with a benchmark and then place your kid yeah, at that area, right? No matter what it is. I also will say the more you go in it, or for, from my experience, the more you realize when people talk about your child, you, I've been coached so much to say, you know, when we're working with the state, tell them your child's worst day. What does their worst day look like? Because mm-hmm. that's your reality. 
And if educators are on your side, that's exactly what they're doing in that IEP yeah. meeting. Yep. Because they want your child to get services. So yep. if you can kind of step back once you get through like the wave of emotion of somebody telling your you all about your child, what they can't do. I try to, whether this is real or not, put it into perspective of, I'm glad that they are putting more weight on it so that she will be able to succeed more. Because ultimately it's sort of a business with the school district. They only have so much money to work with, you know, and I'm happy that they're willing to put more money into my child so she can get what she needs. Either way though, I think too, it's just hard to see it in writing. And I think back to the newborn, not newborn, but like, you know, when you first have the baby and you go through and like, are the pediatrician or whatever? Well, not even that. Like we had like at the two week visit, you filled out a worksheet at the four week, you know, at the three-month visit, you filled out Mm -hmm. the same worksheet, but it was like the three-month worksheet. And like, I went through all of those and I was like, nope, 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 nope. Like checking down the list, like everything that- Honestly, do you even fill those out anymore? I don't anymore. I refuse to do it. And after the first couple, I refused. And they told me like, we do require you to do this because the back of it had postpartum depression questions, which Mm -hmm. I- they didn't do that for Lorelai. So in three-ish years time, I'm proud that they added that because I think that that's a very important thing that, and that's a whole nother episode. Mm-hmm. But I refused to fill out the other stuff and a couple of the nurses would get a little like ornery with me. And then the doctor was like, it's fine. Like, yeah, if mom doesn't want to fill it, like, well, it's like, <laughs> what are your concerns? And you're like, uh, do, do you have you know, a computer I can write this out on because this ain't going to fit on one sheet of paper. My favorite's when they're like, let's go over Lorelai's meds just to make sure they're right in the system. And I'm like, do you want to do Benji first? Cause he only has four. Yeah. And they're like, okay. And then we get to Lorelai and I was like, can I just look at the sheet and just yes. scroll it please? Like 30 <laughs> meds later. Like, I know it's crazy. But I hated seeing like, I'm a perfectionist and I want things I mean, I was an overachieving student. I still am an overachieving perfectionist. And when you see it written down and when you see all the check marks on the can't do this row, they need to add a row for like, is this person good at laying on the floor? Because (laughs) we would get all the gold stars. And I, I make that joke. But then I also realize that there are people who probably can't lay on the floor. It's just... It's a humbling feeling. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it is. And I, I think it's really good that you pointed out too, like your typical children, we all have things that sting. Mm-hmm. For me though, I think the hardest part of this to swallow for me is just like seeing it in writing. Oh my gosh. It absolutely is. I I would agree. I mean, I don't know. And I, I always say this and it's probably sounds redundant. When I find myself getting like overwhelmed with grief or something, I try as best I can to like split this life right into what the world tells us mm-hmm. and how I see my child, like how God made her or any of my children. And if we can quiet all of this noise around us, all of the paperwork that says this is the expectation of your kid, and I know it has to be done, but it just helps bring me back down to the ground of like, who is she? 
And no matter what this paper says about her or her ability or lack thereof, she is changing her special ed teacher's lives. She is changing Mm -hmm. this world. And that is what her purpose is. And so there's always this noise that is constantly around us that is literally suffocating all of us. But if we can just refocus and not to take the grief away, you have to walk through that grief because you, I mean, this will face you every single damn year of these kids' school years. Mm -hmm. But take that, say there's a purpose to that so she can get services, refocus, reground and recenter and say, but God made her not because he wanted her to learn the ABCs or run down the hall with her friends, but to maybe slow her friends down to see something super special that Mm -hmm. this world does not acknowledge as special. I think that that's beautiful. Well, let me ask you, what is it like to hear all of this stuff is it, do you feel safe without your kids going to school? Is that a safer option or do you have like grief because of it? A little of like, both. Um, I struggle because I, this is airing in a couple months, but we're in the process. I was telling you of Lorelai's make a wish she shed is finished and we're in the process of trying to figure out they're like well you can invite some of her friends and we'll have like the reveal party and Lorelai doesn't have friends like she doesn't leave the house literally her friends are my family and her nurse and, and I'll probably and Benji and um, Joby and Chloe <laughs> no Chloe died it's Olivia oh yes um, sorry about that one <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah so you know, it, it, it's hard because, and also what is hard is back to school pictures. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I feel the joy for all of my friends, but I grieve that every year. Mm -hmm. I am considering homeschooling Lorelai this year, uh, cause she also will be a kindergartner. I'm afraid if I homeschool her though, I'm going to say like, she's not really a kindergartner. I mean, Lorelai should go to school for the social purposes only. She's not going to learn her ABCs. She's not going to learn her colors. And she needs to go to school for social interaction. However, a head cold could kill her. So school isn't an option. Mm -hmm. And her health is declining a lot over the last six months. So I was just telling, we had speech therapy this morning and I, I was just telling her, I was like, you know, I don't know if I should homeschool her. I don't really know what to do because aside from the immunocompromisation, is that a word? Because <laughs> that's what I would always say. Aside from that, Lorelai is having more bad days than good days. She wouldn't be able to consistently go to school anyway. Mm-hmm. I do hang on to, I know Janice, who was on our show at the very beginning, I know Janice sent Jules to school for like recess. Whenever they were outside, she would send her for recess. And I would love to have that kind of option of like, Lorelai's part of this classroom when we're outdoors or, you know, but I also just can't consistently, she, she's not well enough to go to school consistently. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I have to call the school actually this week to try to figure out what they would recommend. Mm-hmm. Would they bring a teacher out to you? Or are you like, I don't want that because that screams germs. So prior to COVID, Lorelai's first pre-K year, 
we had an amazing teacher. She came out to the house, I think it was two or three days a week, and did a 45-minute lesson with Lorelai, which, I mean, two to three times a week, 45 minutes, it's not that much, but it was perfect for us. Mm -hmm. Um, She did craft projects with her. She had themes. She had, you know, like... She was a teacher. Yeah. I want to homeschool to give Lorelai that, but honestly, I don't have the mental capacity to do that right now. Like, I'm literally knee-deep in keeping my child alive. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that I would let her down if I homeschooled her. I wouldn't let her down. Like, she would not be like, my mommy doesn't do craft projects with me. But I don't know if we could reach the full potential of where she could be right now. Mm-hmm. Shifting children, Benji's doing things now. He is two next week. We're recording this in June. He's doing things now that Lorelai's not doing. And he would probably do really well at preschool. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know what to do. For her, it was like, well, eh, eh, eh. okay, so she almost died before she turned two to the flu. And after seeing my daughter intubated and fighting for her life before she was even two, there was no question of will she go to school or not, like, you're not going. You caught the flu and we take every precaution possible. You're not going to school. I haven't seen Benji sick. Um, I think he would do so well around children. I want to give that to him, but I also don't know for his own safety. He has the same disease as Lorelai. He's severely neutropenic. And what if what if he got a cold and he handled it well, but he brought it home to Lorelai? Like, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I, I don't even remember what your question was. <laughs> I'm just kind of rambling. But like, I, I don't know what to do for all of this stuff. And I kind of just make it up as I go. Well, I mean, but that's like, I, there's not a handbook of somebody saying no. this is what you do. I was going to ask you, though, and you may not be the right person to ask. I know in... Maybe it's countrywide, but I know in Minnesota, kids are not required to go to school until first grade. But I've always wondered, if you have a child that there's absolutely no way that they can go to school, at what point does the state ask you, why haven't you enrolled your child in school? Or when do they make an exception for that child just not to have to have school? Is that a thing? I think, and I would love for listeners to chime in because you and I are literally having just a candid conversation that we're recording. (laughs) Um, We are not experts on this at all, but I, I believe here it's kindergarten. um, And I believe that if you don't put them in school, you have to show some sort of proof that you are homeschooling, whether that means you have a teacher review what they do, um, Mm -hmm. whether that means that you have, I know, uh, typical kids, my friends who homeschooled this last year because of COVID, their children had to go and take like a three-hour test to mm-hmm. prove what they learned throughout their homeschooling year. Um, I don't, I mean, like, what do I, how do you do that with a Lorelei? How do you do that with a kid who, I mean, like, you're going to take a test on whether or not she can hold something in her hand? Mm-hmm. Maybe, right. sure. Are you, I mean... I just, I'm terrified. And I really, I was thinking as we were talking, like, this is a conversation I'm going to post in the 4am mom club to Mm -hmm. hear what other moms have done. Because 
do you homeschool? Do you? And I know um, going back to Janice, they were blessed enough to have um, a school like an hour's drive from them, but that was specifically built for kids like mine. And, you know, that's not something that is available here, but even if it was germs, like, what do I do? Right. So I don't know. I can't imagine having that like on top of just, I don't want my child to get sick, having almost that like PTSD of mm -hmm. the situation that Laurel, I was in and trying to find that sweet balance of, I can't even say trusting because I mean, illnesses are illnesses, like they're, yeah. they're everywhere. Right. But hoping, you know, finding that balance of what do I, what do I, what do I do? I, I, I mean, mean, there's and not a right, right. This isn't the point of this conversation, but I even struggle yesterday. I mean, people aren't wearing masks here anymore. Um, some people are, um, but like COVID numbers are low. I'm still double masking when I go into stores because I'm terrified not just of COVID, anything. I am terrified to bring something home. And I'm actually a-okay that society, some people are absolutely judging me for my double masking. I know. <laughs> but like, I don't look nearly as wacky as I would have three years ago going in with two masks on my face. Right. You know, there's just a level of, a level of just added stress mm -hmm. of, I can't get my children sick. Right. And it's like one more thing that's completely out of your control. Exactly. Like I can't control if the person in front of me sneezes and I breathe in her cold. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And kids are germy. Like kids my, so my friends whose kids went to preschool these last couple of years, like their kids were sick like every week. And these are healthy, typical kids. Like, mm -hmm. because even even normal five-year-olds, their immune systems have to start working at some point. Like that's how they build up their immune system. And mm -hmm. I even like, cause I thought about reaching out to some private preschools nearby and being like, Hey, could, could my kids come to like recess? Like, can I pay for my kids to be a student, but they only come to like outdoor time? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then meanwhile, on the other side, you're so excited to get Sayla back to school because she just thrives there. And mm -hmm. I, I do, I think you asked me if I felt sad or guilty or whatever, but yeah. I do, I do feel sad that like, I can't see if Lorelai would thrive there. Yeah. Am I being selfish, keeping her in the bubble, protecting her in this way? That's kind of a rhetorical question. It looks like you're about to answer. <laughs> you can tell no, me. No, I, I just understand. I mean, I don't understand, but I can completely understand why you struggle with that. And yet, like I look at, again, trying to stay grounded and refocus like Lorelai's purpose in this world. And no matter how painful it is for you and all of that guilt or potential selfishness that you feel or sadness... Like she's changing the world in other ways. And it unfortunately may not be through school, through something that we want, but God is like, she has a job and it may not be in the preschool recess mm -hmm. area, you know, and, and maybe it is, I don't, but we don't know. We're not putting Lorelai or God in a box. No. And you just have, I mean, just trust yourself and make the decision that's best mm -hmm. for you at the time. And that may yeah. change and that may not change. Like, and I think unfortunately, that's fair. There's no answer. I wanted to say that to my friend's text is like, 
just because you feel this way today doesn't mean that you won't feel different tomorrow. Or just because the situation is this way today doesn't mean that it's going to be 150 degrees different tomorrow. Um, Whether that is related to IEPs or going to school or homeschooling or whatever, like just because today it makes sense, it's okay if you feel different tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I am so excited for a sailor to go to kindergarten and we had a phenomenal IEP meeting this year. And I've had to remind myself, this likely will not be like this every year. Prepare for that horrid feeling. Prepare for that teacher that we just might clash with. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it happens with my typical kids, right? It's just a little bit more painful and a little bit more convoluted when you're dealing with your special needs child. So I don't know, you can't get through the shit without walking through the shit. And you just have to put one foot in front of the other and just honor what you're feeling today and know that tomorrow's a new day. And if tomorrow that better feeling doesn't come the day after, hopefully it will, you know? And if it doesn't come, like I'm sitting here thinking, I have a friend right now who is absolutely battling with the school district because Mm -hmm. kind of like you were saying earlier, her son is borderline for many things, but he doesn't have an autism diagnosis or label on top of his underlying medical diagnosis. So he's not getting the services he needs. The school told her, you know, go find a privately funded support group and take him there so he can be more socialized. And she's like, you know, I have him in karate and I have him in a bunch of things. Like I have him in therapy. He's in therapy at school. He's, and they're pretty much just dropping the ball on the situation. Mm -hmm. They're like, you need to do this at home. She's doing everything she can possibly do. I feel like you and I have had good experiences and I don't want to sugarcoat. Like I do know the, I do know people who are fighting for. And I will say too, this, like I was saying before, this year was really challenging. And to speak to those people that are in the middle of the battle right now, my cousin who works for the underserved community in for the, for our state up here was in this IEP meeting with me. And after she is like, I know this is tiring because at one point I was like, I don't even know if I need to care anymore. Like, I'm just too tired to fight this. It's not that big of a deal. And she was like, you are doing incredible work. And this is from a, you know, an administrator perspective. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you are changing the standards and the regulations and essentially like changing the discrimination that our children face because you battle. So yes, you can rest, but you have mm-hmm. to keep fighting for that. Mm-hmm. And it's one of honestly one of the hardest battles. Like it is exhausting and you're so emotionally charged because like yeah. God forbid anybody gets in the way of a mom and her child. Don't mom a bear. Yeah. No. Um so I think just the the charge that comes with the emotional weight that comes with, you know, dealing with your child and what you think they deserve and they're not getting. But that really gave me a little bit more gas. <laughs> A little bit more mm-hmm. fuel to add to the fire mm-hmm. because I was like, you're right. Uh, if it's not for my child, hopefully it will be for the new preschooler coming in and I need yep. to keep battling so they know. And I will say at the end of this last year, Sayla's special ed teacher and the principal said, I just really appreciate this year. You showed us a lot of where we were flawed and maybe where the gaps were in our programming. And I just thought that was a really nice thing to say because it was a hard year. You know, we, but we butt heads a little bit and 
it made me feel good. It kind of gave me a little bit more oomph for like, yeah, we can keep going in this battle. Yeah. So to all those people out there that are like in the, the midst of it, um, you can rest. We know it's hard. Like I, we've all been there, um, but just know that you're changing the discrimination. I mean, you're, you're changing the world because of that. If good for, for you for doing it though. Like I, as you're talking, I'm like, shit, <laughs> I should have so like <laughs> Lorelai was enrolled. She is a home-based student. And mm-hmm. this past year, they never sent us anything. They mm-hmm. didn't send us a teacher. They didn't send us a letter in the mail. I got nothing. And she is still an enrolled student. I should have advocated harder. I should have said, no, like send us a virtual, like add us to a virtual classroom. I should have for my child, for all children, but I'm tired. And literally, literally trying to keep her safe and healthy and alive. Mm -hmm. But shame on the school for not even read. Like I have to call them this week and be like, Hey, so my kid is enrolled. Um, You know, if the state found out that you have an enrolled student, who wasn't in a classroom serving. this year? Y'all are going to be in a lot of trouble. By the way, I have a podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> by the way, I talk about this stuff. Um, right. But she's going to be in kindergarten this year. They've got to figure something out. And mm-hmm. I think, I think it's powerful too to hear you say that because you know I sat back this year in some ways and yeah. to and I mean, hear give yourself that grace. Could, like that's what you had to give, right? Exactly. So. Exactly. But then I'm such a people pleaser to hear that they are probably and could be doing this to other families that maybe Mm -hmm. don't have the communication skills to advocate. Like, I'm like, well, shit, I should should have at the very least done it for the other families. I know. Um, Yeah. No, I think this was a good candid conversation and I'm glad we hit record. I would love to hear what other people, I think this conversation will go to the 4am mom club. Mm Mm-hmm. And let's all chat about it. Uh, if oh, you think, and the if you guys search for the When Autumn Comes Society on Facebook, that also has conversation. If you are an educator or you are a non, I mean, even special needs parents, but that's open to all the listeners for conversation. I had found this amazing. I think it's a TikTok video, but it was um, an educator talking about an IEP meeting and it had brought me to tears so many times. Just this is what you hear us say, but this is really what we see in your child from an educator's perspective during an IEP meeting. So we'll try and repost that. So it's Mm -hmm. up at the top of the page. So um, you guys can share it and discuss it because it is so beautiful. Yeah. I had seen that like a year or so prior to you sharing it. And it just, I sent it to all of our therapists and I was like, thank you guys for what you do because yeah, Okay, guys, this is Susan, and I, what am I going to do today? I don't know. I, I'm looking at my nails in the reflection of the video thinking maybe I should go repaint my nails. So this is Susan. I'm going to go put new nails on my fingers or, call, or whatever. And then call the school. And then, I'm, this is Susan, <laughs> and I'm going to go call the school. Watch out. This is Diane, and I got to go make a Costco list. You do. Your husband needs it. Oh, yes, he does. (laughs) Okay. Bye, guys. Peace.
P.S. I just have a quick reminder. We did mention the 4 a.m. mom club a couple times in here, but like I said last week, we are discontinuing the 4 a.m. mom club and moving everything to the When Autumn Comes Society. So join us over there and we will chat about this because we really, really, really want to hear what your thoughts are. Thank you guys for spending time with us today. If you could do us a huge favor and like us on, I don't know, all social media, you can give us a good review on the platform that you're listening to this episode on, like Apple Podcasts, or I don't know if you can do reviews on Spotify, but maybe a thumbs up or a star, I don't know, something like that. And share, share, please, please, sharing is caring, please share our podcast with people who you think would enjoy it or appreciate it or find comfort in this because that's exactly why we're doing this. 